keeping democracy alive with Bert Cohen. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Perhaps you've heard that uh, there are congressional elections coming up, and it's a big one. There's been talk about a blue wave. I don't believe it. I actually don't believe it. I think we Democrats uh, need to stand for something and not just be not Trump, but we're not there yet. The elections are coming up very soon, and there's a lot of discussion about uh, what is the Democratic Party? What do we stand for? Can we win just because people are upset about Trump? I don't think so. I think we need to have a clear, positive agenda as to what we are. Will we take Congress? That's the big question uh, that uh, everybody's looking on. The House of Representatives is up for grabs, basically. Uh, Every two years, every single member has to run, unlike the Senate, which has a six-year term, which is very nice. Uh, But what's going to happen? Can we progressives, liberals, whatever, take the House of Representatives. Can it happen? Well, here in New Hampshire, where the show is coming from, uh, we have a retiring, really good member of Congress, and that is uh, Carol Shea Porter. I'm not quite sure why she decided not to run again, but she decided not to run again. And there were, at last count, 11, 12? I don't know. There's a lot of Democrats running. And we have uh, one here uh, for the uh, the primary in New Hampshire is in September, which is crazy. But there's a lot of questions. What we need to do to win? How can we appeal to people? And what is the shape of the Democratic Party? How can we connect with people? Unlike what happened in 2016, where we clearly did not connect particularly well. Well, I'm very pleased to have with us in the studio... And you can give us a call if you'd like, 603-430-9722. Mindy Mesmer, who is running for Congress. I think that's microphone three. Is that right that you're on? Yes, oh, microphone good. three. Well, thank you for being here. And why are you running? Thank you. I believe I'm one out of nine, unless I missed There's some recent. There's a couple others. There's a, in the last day, in the last 24 hours. Well, it wouldn't surprise I'm me. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I am running because I, you know, I'm current house rep here in the state of New Hampshire. And I'm deeply troubled by the Trump administration's um, 
disassembling of the EPA and the rejection of science and evidence and facts, not just in, this, in the realm of science, but, you know, facts and, and, and other things that we, we generally want to abide by, I think, you know, a reasonable um, policy is to pay attention to facts. And I think in, not just with respect to the EPA, but many other areas. Um, and so that is why I'm running. I think it's important to have scientists in Congress uh, we just heard yesterday how the EPA was hiding information about very important health impacts from ingestion of these perfluorinated chemicals uh, that um, we have been fighting for here in, this, in the seacoast area in particular and in Merrimack, Litchfield, and Bedford area because we are concerned about environmental impacts from toxins flowing from Pease Air Force Base, Coakley Landfill, and St. Cobain in the central part, among other places. Um, and we just found out yesterday the EPA has been withholding that information. They were afraid of it being a public relations nightmare, and I'd say they're going to have a huge public relations nightmare on their hands right now. Senator Shaheen and Hassan are taking a very aggressive stance on getting that information out to the public um, and not being um, held up in some somebody's file cabinet in EPA. I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. They can do that? How can they withhold the information? I mean, is that legal for them to do that? Um, I'm sure it's not. I mean, we, you know, this has been a series of, you know, this is one of the things I've really been trying to champion here in the state of New Hampshire uh, to, to look at other health effects from and, and understand that health effects occur at very much lower levels than the EPA's current standard. Sure. Other states have become very much more aggressive in this area. And I've been talking about this for the last two years in New Hampshire, and I have actually gotten one piece of legislation passed that Senator Innes brought in for me uh, that the senator, I mean, the governor now says he's going to sign. So yeah. I'm hapful, happy about that. But it still leaves a little bit too much. Uh, leeway for the state of New Hampshire to decide what they feel like doing. So that's a concern of mine. But, you know, I think it's it's very troubling when we know that we have a pediatric cancer cluster here in the seacoast, and we have almost three times the expected rate of brain cancers in our children as well. And we know there are health effects in, in the central portion of the state from, from these kinds of releases. It's very troubling to find out that the EPA has been holding this information at bay uh, while the people of the state and the people of the country actually suffer the health effects. Do you find that this is resonating? I mean, one of the things, you know, to get elected, there's like two parts of a job of running for Congress. One is running for Congress, and then the other job is being a member of Congress. Mm -hmm. Two very distinct mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. What you're talking about here, I would I would think would resonate a lot. And the part of the sea, New Hampshire that we're talking about here, for those who are not from the area, the entire seacoast of New Hampshire, including the big city of Manchester, surrounding towns going up to Laconia. So it's sort of a, mm -hmm. it's it's mm -hmm. half the mm -hmm. state. But mm -hmm. how, you've been going around a lot. You've mm -hmm. been running. I don't know how mm -hmm. long you've been mm -hmm. working on this for. Well, I, you know, I actually started working on this particular issue before, uh, you know, I was even a state rep. Um, we started New Hampshire Safe Water Alliance. That is a Facebook group where, you know, we have about 700 people that are members now. Wow. And I was actually already working across the CD1 district kind of coincidentally, not just the CD1 district either. I felt like my responsibility was to help everyone across the state. And I've been even to the other side of the state as well in CD, CD2 district. So I do have a wide network of people that recognize the issues. Steve Marchand talks about how, you know, before I started doing this, really, when he spoke to people, water issues were not even on the top five of their list. And now he credits me with having it be one of the top two in the state of New Hampshire that's brought up to him in his meetings across the state. So I have been working on this to elevate the conversation, to educate people about it. And it really does resonate. And it does resonate 
Uh, interestingly, with millennials, um, and those mm. are the people that we really want to energize and empower. You know, we've seen a lot of great things happen now with respect, unfortunately, to the Parkland tragedy. But those kids are really activated and they care about the environment, you know. And, and I believe you know um, Dr. Uh, Lawrence Wilkerson, who uh, I had a long conversation with, a couple oh, of good. them, and via email and things. You know, he agrees with me that climate change and drinking water issues are the top two threats to our national security. And that does really resonate across this district. People understand they don't want to turn the tap water on and have something that they can't drink or be worried about giving to their children. So, um, you know, people make baby bottles, a formula with bottled, you know, water coming out of their tap and we're worried about mm. whether or not that's safe. So I, I think it's really important and I think it does resonate. I think I fight against the lobbyists all the time in Concord. I see the effect, the power that they have, especially over the Senate and, and over the House mm-hmm. as well. But, you know, that's the kind of thing I try to expose that these industry lobbyists should not influence our policymaking. And the same thing's happening in Washington. Yeah, it's interesting that... Uh you know, the government is supposed to be there, I know this is terribly naive, for the common good, the good of the people, you know, government of, by, and for the people. And there are those now who would, amazingly enough, roll back uh, all the legislation with regard to food safety even. They don't, you know, they back in, you know, over 100 years ago, we passed legislation to uh, make sure that food that people eat was safe mm-hmm. to eat. Mm-hmm. And there are those who feel like, mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. government should should just has to serve the private interests. And there are water companies that are making a very I mean, who would have ever thought I'm old enough to think, you know, who would have ever thought people would be buying water? Mm-hmm. You know, you go to mm-hmm. a baseball game or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you pay three, four dollars a bottle yeah. of water. What the heck? I mean, that, it, it can't be that way. What about this this power situation here and basic absolute necessities like water. Yep. Unfortunately, you know, industry does play an, a really powerful role in all of this. I don't think that people believe this stuff. I don't think that people want this stuff if they knew. There is, you know, I recently saw a movie called Merchants of Doubt, and it is a, mo- a movie about how industry creates has a model that creates doubt in in many things. They started it with the tobacco industry. They replicated it now with climate change. They are replicating it right now with this perfluorinated issue with these chemicals that we just found out about yesterday being um, withheld, the information about public health. Um, I don't think that the people, if they knew, really would agree with that. Interesting you bring up bottled water. I had a bill in this session. Uh, I knew it would never pass, but the idea behind it was to put on the labels what chemicals the state of New Hampshire finds, like MTBE, um, volatile organic compounds, and arsenic and perfluorinated chemicals on the label. That's all it, it was supposed to do. It was supposed to make bottled water companies who sell bottled water in the state of New Hampshire put that information on the labels. Before that bill mm. even got <laughs> put up on the website, I was getting lobbyist calls about it. They wanted a copy of the... It was the one that generated the most interest in the last two sessions that I've been involved with uh, of any of the bills that I've submitted. And, you know, they claim that they would not make any money. But these bottled water companies, they basically go, like Poland Spring has been the subject of a federal lawsuit, actually. They go into towns. They basically pay maybe $200, if that, a year to access the groundwater. They put it in bottles and they call it spring water. This is what Poland Spring has been doing. It is a very high profit industry. And uh, they fought my bill. They came in, Pepsi, all these people came in mm-hmm. to fight the bill. And uh, Richard Abel, who's a representative uh, that was on the committee, asked the question, which I thought was really interesting, to Pepsi, who bottles Dasani water from the city of Manchester tap water. 
why wouldn't you put that information on the label then? Because it actually puts you above your competitors. And there was no clear answer for that from Pepsi, but they did lobby very heavily against that bill, and that bill was ultimately killed. Yeah. Um, I knew that would happen, but yeah. I wanted people to talk about it. I wanted people to know your bottled water is not necessarily safer than your tap water. And most people don't realize that. So that was what that bill was about. Sometimes we put things in to educate people and just make a make a big fuss sure. about it. Um, and that was what that bill was about. So. Well, and I'm certain if you make it to Congress, there'll be a number of pieces of legislation oh, yeah. that are moving the ball forward <laughs> yeah. slowly because yep. there's a lot yep. of resistance, and yep. that's what we're talking about here. Right. Uh, Bert Cohn here. The show is called Keeping Democracy Alive. I'm pleased to have with us in the studio Mindy Mesmer, who is running for United States Congress. And you've done one term in the New Hampshire House. Uh, some people might say, well, that's not a lot of experience, but... There, are, for those who are out of state here that might be listening, there are four hundred people in the house. It's insane, but only a few people really, having been a state senator myself, uh, twenty-four of us to four hundred of, of them. There's not one. It's amazing how much one person can get done there, and and you've been able to do that. And I, I think one of the strengths that you have that I've observed is that you can work with Republicans, and we can't just have we're good, they're bad. You know, your, your enemy on one issue may be your best friend on something Absolutely. else. Talk about your working across the aisle a bit mm -hmm. to get things done. Yeah, I do work across the aisle. And, and, you know, interestingly, yesterday there was an open democracy forum, which I could not be at because I had to be at the state house uh, representing my bill. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's a um, representative, John, Jim McConnell, who's very conservative Republican, but we do work together a lot on environmental issues. Uh, he's pro-choice, so we do get along in those areas as well. We don't, we differ in opinion very drastically in some places, but, you know, he has a lot of the same motivation that I have to get money out of politics. He wants a real reform amendment uh, put through, uh, to, and he's asking the question of all the CD1 candidates who would do it, um, and, you know, he knows that I will, so... Uh, that's an interesting way to look at it. And I, I really balk at people, especially within the Democratic Party, that talk about, you know, the bad guys on the other side of the fence because we actually can work together. And, you know, I've, I've worked with Governor Sununu. I've asked him for his help. I've had meetings with him. Mm. I've talked to him. You know, we have to work together to get things done. And we don't always agree on everything, but right. there certainly are areas that we agree with on. And that's really important to be able to talk to those people, educate them. Maybe they quite don't understand. Maybe they don't quite agree that climate change is a big issue, but if you'd help them understand it, you can change some minds. And my sense is, I, there's, there's often, I mean, people every year have talked about, you know, money and politics, what a bad thing it is. But I don't know if people really get motivated about that, uh, getting money out of politics. This year, a lot of people are talking about, it seems anyway, that, you know, we need to work together that they're frustrated that there's this uh, gridlock in Congress in particular, that we don't work together. I wonder how much of a motivating issue you think that is. You've been out talking to a lot of people all mm -hmm. over the place. What's, mm -hmm. what's your sense? Do people care about? They do. In fact, yeah, I think one of the top issues, you know, I talk about climate change and drinking water, but I also talk about working across the aisle. And almost every single time, no matter where I am, that really resonates oh, with people. Absolutely. They're tired of this divisiveness. They're tired of the money in politics. They're tired of the corruption. These two issues really resonate strongly with people across the district and across the state. Yeah, I would think that they do. I, I 
don't know. I'm usually surprised at how things come come out. Uh, if you have questions, 430-9722 is the number, 603-430-9722. I can try to figure out how to push the buttons and get you on. Uh, <laughs> money in politics. And there have been, there's a, a lot of support, I think, both sides of the aisle, that are really concerned. A lot of Republicans. I mean, uh, the former Speaker of the House, Doug Scammon, is on board with uh, trying to do something about money in politics. It costs a lot of money to run for Congress, crazy amount of money. There's one of the at least nine candidates who's raised like a million dollars or so. Uh, how? Wh- what are your thoughts about... I mean, it's difficult. It's a. It's not fun to ask people for money. Believe me, I know. Uh, how is that going? And maybe you can talk about some of the difficulties, the problems, and the solutions mm-hmm. with regard to mm-hmm. money and politics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my campaign is a grassroots campaign. I am very fir- solidly against accepting any PAC or special interest Good. lobbyist money. Good. Absolutely, I'm not going to do it. Um, and I think that, you know, we have a huge group of volunteers. We're constantly growing. I think because I've made that a decision to do our campaign this way, it has actually helped us, benefited us. You know, as I talk to people across the district, there are people that are hurting in our in our state. Oh, and yeah. they are, you know, we have a huge raging opioid crisis. Um, and I think that that is in large part due to so, some of the socioeconomic factors, you know, that we know exist in the state. People are hurting, and it's hard. You call people up after you've met them, and you say, how was it? You know, can you contribute? Well, I can volunteer for you, but I can't afford to contribute. And what can you say? I mean, that's, you know, this is what I want to represent. I want to represent the people that don't have a voice in the state. And I think it's important to make sure that you uh, resonate, that you touch base with those people. And I think the message of this really resonates with them. You know, I'm very disturbed about someone who can come into our state from another state a month or two before and file and have a million dollars behind them when they don't even know where Deerfield, New Hampshire, is. Um, you know, I think that that is an issue. And I think that's something I hope will um, be uncovered by the, the voters and they'll make the right decision there. You know, I'm concerned about a lot of special interest money coming into the state, actually, to other campaigns as well, that is affecting mm-hmm. uh, the way that people answer questions. You know, you really have to hold them to uh, what is it going to be ACA fixed or is it going to be Medicare for all? And you really need to get them on the hook for explaining in detail what exactly they're talking about. You know, I make it a big deal that I want Medicare for all. I think it's a system that works now. I think it can be expanded uh, to um, allow people access to it. I think we can afford it. Um, I think as a state, as a country, you know, we spend so much money on uh, medical care in this state, in this country, that we really need to be able to provide for all of our citizens. So, you know, I would ask that all the voters really hold the feet to the fire of the candidates and specifically make sure that you understand their position on these issues. And certainly the insurance industry, I would Absolutely. think, would, would be rather against yes. Medicare for I, All. They make a lot of money providing insurance. They sure They're the, the middleman. Let's get the middleman out of health care. They have no place in deciding what is appropriate for your doctor to provide for you. Absolutely none. And I, I, I have to buy health insurance. It's unbelievably expensive. And the things that they don't cover, mm-hmm. it's just, it's appalling. Absolutely. And the decision-making process, What uh, Sarah Palin, I think, talked about death panels. They did, they, meaning the Republicans, did 
some research and found that the, the term death panel resonated with, but there are death panels now. Absolutely. These absolutely private for-profit yes. insurance. So I don't know how much of a range there is among the Democratic contenders right now. And there I, is a range, so you need to uh, ask be interesting specifically. interesting to look and see how many of them have insurance uh, uh, executives exactly. contributing to their campaign. Exactly. Yeah. Are and there special some? interests and lobbyists. Yeah, there are. Hmm. Absolutely. You need to look carefully at the FEC filings on FEC.gov. You can go there and search on candidate. You can pull up the name. You can look through all of the candidates' contributions. You can see for yourself where their contributions come from, and I encourage everyone to do that. Well, that brings up a difficult issue, I think, sometimes, is running a positive campaign. People say they don't like negative campaigns. The reality is negative campaigns work. They do. It's like people say, oh, they hate you know, car accidents, but everybody turns and looks at them. It just holds the attention. What do you think about you know, bringing up? You have a very competitive primary right now, and you, know, you can ask people, here's the tools, go to the FEC website and look at it. But what about the idea of pointing out where some of your, you know, not opposition, challengers uh, stand on these issues, uh, making that public? I mean, but then again, you only have limited money. Right. That's for sure. Limited money and limited time, actually. So when, when I go to meetings, you know, there's only so much you can True. spout off to people, you know, before they get bored. Yeah. Uh, you know, I talk over, about yeah. the issues. I focus on the things that I think are really important in my campaign and what are, what are important to the citizens of the state of New Hampshire, what I want to do when I get to Congress. So I try not to focus too much on other candidates. Um, if I'm asked, I'm a pretty straightforward person. If you ask me a direct question, true. I'm going to give you a direct answer. So if I get asked the questions, I'll answer them. Um, I'm not going to, I really don't want to go negative. I don't want to talk about other candidates and things like that. But, you know, if I'm asked a direct question, I'll factually answer the questions. Scientists, we we generally tend to to deal in facts, and I I tend to do that. So, What a concept, facts? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive, and we have elections that are coming up really quick uh, this, uh, this fall. For Congress, and uh, we have with us Mindy Mesmer, who is uh, running for the Democratic nomination for Congress. I think this seat will stay Democrat. I who let's knows? hope so. Who My knows? goodness, yeah. I, I, I'm amazed sometimes at. at but what, it will depend on who gets the seat from our side. True. Uh, you know, there are certain people that have some vulnerabilities that may not be able to overcome yes. what's going to happen when we get past our primary. Yeah, there's a Republican candidate who I noticed today put on his uh, website something about uh, justifying the uh, uh, Israeli assault on the uh, Gazans, killing 60 people or so, saying that these uh, Gazans are are just asking for it. And it's just, uh, we shouldn't get too far into that. But foreign policy is something that, uh, with so many things to talk about here. There's so many. (laughs) Yeah. What about foreign policy? And you know, I think Carol Shea Porter, our incumbent, has been particularly good on foreign policy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, th- th- maybe this can m- morph into discussion of the Democratic Party's identity in general, actually, because I mean, one of the things about Hillary Clinton was she was very hawkish, and that turned off some Democratic activists. And right now there is kind of a—I uh, don't want to overblow the idea of a split, because I think generally the Democrats are pretty united— at the state and local level, we're sort of going away from the uh, corporate Democratic leadership conference 
uh, move to the right that did happen in the 1990s and getting back to our roots to try to get back to, to working people. Um, but, uh, it, and, and as I say, Hillary Clinton was, was rather hawkish and that turned some people off. What are your thoughts on foreign policy? I mean, uh, it's it's a big area and there's so many areas. It is there's a big area. Uh, I'm generally more of a, a, you know, I think that the money that we spend right now and we've allocated to the military industrial complex is entirely too much. I think we need to realign our priorities on spending. Uh, you know, when we say that we have a over $1 trillion budget deficit, uh, you know, I think it's important to make sure that our priorities are to provide medical care for all of our people instead of spending it on defense budgets, yeah. um, overblown dispense, defense budgets. I think there are a lot of, um, you know, troubling things about being so uh, ready for war. Uh, you know, we're more apt to have errors like we saw in Hawaii where, you know, we didn't know <laughs> for 30 minutes if that missile was actually real or not. Um, and it could have really resulted in some very troubling um, responses if we didn't figure it out fast. It just it just took too long, in my opinion. We're really not ready. Um, and there is too much human error involved in these kinds of situations. So, you know, I'm very concerned in general about our uh, hawkish, uh, you know, uh, in the world, our hawkish, um, you know, approach to many things. You know, for sure, I'm concerned about the things that have been happening with regard to Trump and some of the things he's been doing and kicking up the hornet's nest in various places. Uh, the Iranian thing is very troubling. Yeah. I'm more of a diplomat. You know, I, my approach would be preferably to go diplomatic routes than to be um, so hawkish. So <laughs> in general, I would say that that's an overview of what I <laughs> my approach would be. Good common sense. What, again, what a concept. My goodness. And national security. What is national security, really? And some of the hawkish uh, positions that uh, that the current administration has taken. Does it really enhance our national security? Doesn't I mean poking a hornet's nest? Generally, not a good idea. No, not a good idea at all. And one of the things, you know, sticking with the question of identity of the Democratic Party, there are power bases in the Democratic Party, and there's something probably most listeners to this show have have heard of Emily's List, for example. They're a big. Uh, they raise a lot of money. And they make decisions, and they I think they didn't used to participate in primaries. And they, they always they can only support women. That's for sure. I understand that. What about their involvement in this? Have, has Emily's List taken a position? You're one of three women now in the congressional race. Mm -hmm. What about Emily's List? And they tend to be, I think, I mean, they're very pro-choice, but mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. talk about Emily's List. And, and well, what... Emily's List has definitely been the focus of a lot of flack uh, lately. They have gotten into uh, primaries, and they did in ours. They endorsed um, Maura Sullivan. They did? Um, mm -hmm. oh and they didn't even... I met. I tried to meet with them twice in D.C. when I was there. They did not meet with me. They have not fully evaluated... You know, I'm a huge fighter for women's rights in the state oh, of New Hampshire. Yeah. I, massive, you know, uh, I'm on the Health and Human Services Committee for the state of New Hampshire, for the, um, in the state house. And every bill, you know, I, I really fight hard to make sure that women's rights aren't access to uh, reproductive health care are preserved. I'm a huge proponent of anything having to do with gender issues in particular, not just women, actually, all, all gender right. issues. Trans, I was a sponsor of the trans bill. You know, I uh, made sure that we got a prohibition on gay conversion therapy. So there's, there's lots of things that I've been fighting for, and I have a strong legislative record for doing that. And, you know, to not Successful even get... too, getting absolutely, 
Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, the gay conversion therapy bill, we just sent that off to the governor for signature. And I, I have to say that I did that myself. I mean, I was working right. with young Republicans to make sure we got two tie votes on the day that they came to House bill, a House bill and a Senate bill came across the floor uh, in the House. We got two tie votes, and I credit that mostly with the work that I've done with the young Republicans, uh, and they were broken by the speaker. Um, I found one person through the reconsideration process that within, you know, by 10 o'clock the next morning, I got that person to submit that he had uh, would like to reconsider it. He had voted incorrectly. Wow. We had that House Bill 587 reconsidered. We, we got a, a eight-point vote on that to send it to the Senate. It went to the Senate. It was amended. It was passed by the Senate, came back to the House, passed again. Uh, they wanted to send it to Committee of Conference where it could die a slow death, and mm. we overturned that again, and now it's going to the governor. So, I, you know, I have a strong record of fighting for these issues in the state of New Hampshire, and to not even have the chance to have really an interview to talk about things on the, you know, I had maybe, maybe one or two conversations with Emily's list in total that were very cursory and no meeting with them was just really incredible that they came in and they endorsed so early in the primary. You know, now we have another woman in the process. So, you know, they came in so early and endorsed her. It really felt like it was sort of a predetermined situation, but. I, I they, they surprised me. I have to say Absolutely. I mean, their agenda yeah. is to elect more women. I'm all for that. Uh, of course, not all women. You know, we got Sarah Palin. You got Michelle, or what's her name, uh, Goldman? No, what was her name there out in the Midwest? Real crazy uh, right winger. I can't think. I of her can't name. remember her name either. Anyway, right now, but I know what you're talking about. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I, I don't understand that. But I guess. Was it the money factor? I don't want to go too far. I mean, they- I don't really know. I mean, they've never talked to me, so I have no idea. It was a st- total Crazy. surprise to me. They had told me actually way back that they probably wouldn't get involved until you know at least the third quarter of this um, this year. Sure. Uh, so I was really shocked to see that they did that. And you know, I I think it's troubling. You know, I do think that. One of the things that that really was troubling for me was, you know, I'm an activist here in the state of New Hampshire. I know the communities. I've worked with people across the state, oh, not yeah. just here in the, st- the seacoast. And, you know, one of the things the Democratic Party out of the Uni- mm. Unity Commission, one of the things that was one of the conclusions is that the Democratic Party really needs, needs to get back to its community activist roots. That when, you know, we grow people out of communities that care about the communities that represent them, uh, that's where we have a, you know, we can re-energize the party. And then to have someone come in who's not part of the state for more than a month or two before they submit their application to, to run is just, you know, certainly not abiding by that. Yeah, I don't think she's going to win. I, I think people are turned off by them. I mean, she's going to have a lot of money to spend on the media, Boston right. TV, right. whatever. But I, I think people are turned off by that. One of the unique things about the New Hampshire primary is this, uh, not that many people actually vote it's a small percentage. it is a small percentage so you gotta it, it's really about mm-hmm. targeting and it's mm-hmm. a big deal and i did before we get off the subject i did want to mention how as i said there are 400 people in the new hampshire house of representatives getting things done knowing how to work the system to actually get things done there's people there let's face it they sort of take up space mm-hmm. some of them do mm-hmm. You know how to work it. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. There's mm-hmm. only, I think of the 400 people, there's maybe 50 who really yep. get things done. Yep. And and you are part of that. And I would think people would care about that. Yes. One of the, I mean, part of the, I think the difficulty with the Democratic Party is, uh, as you mentioned a little bit there, we used to be the party of working people. Absolutely. And 
let's face it, Hillary Clinton, who I voted for in the general election, but was not for in the mm-hmm. in the in the primaries. Same here. Yeah, because uh, she went to these, you know, fundraisers where people could put in a hundred thousand, whatever. We lost touch with the working people. Absolutely. And one of the things that concerns me is part of our base, our traditional base, has been Catholics in America. And I wonder about the issue. I mean, I'm very much pro-choice. You're very much pro-choice. They have a religious thing that they they can't do it. But a lot of them have been turned off to the Democratic Party because there's so much focus on a litmus test of reproductive rights. That doesn't work in every part of the country. I would think economics would be a little bit more important. But, but what about having reproductive rights as a litmus test. I, I, you may not be comfortable in going there, but I'm going to ask it anyway because, you know, I certainly favor uh, preservation of reproductive rights. But what, how can we reconnect with that large base of largely working-class Catholics? Well, you know, this um, this is a very interesting area. Uh, you know, House Bill 1822 was a bill that came across the state and uh, the state house and my committee, I was concerned about some structural features of it, some issues that I have with regard to, say, insurance coverage. If that was just a way of a stepwise way of getting rid of insurance com- coverage for reproductive contraception, and but what happened was in the process of my learning about that was that you know the state, the areas of the state that are not well covered by organizations like Planned Parenthood, they really have higher abortion rates than other areas, and you know this issue about reproductive health care is not just a about, um, you know, having abortions, but it's also about a woman's right to have control over her own economic future. Mm. And when you allow women the ability to plan for their future by accessing contraception, uh, uh, it is something that's really important uh, in, in determining factor about her ability to plan a family, about her ability to gen- join the workforce, her ability to earn similar to what a man can earn in her field. So, um, you know, we know that that's not often the case. We, you know, women are very underpaid with respect to, to men by 79 cents on the dollar. Uh, so it's still an issue. But, you know, this is a very important area, not only just, you know, for a religious reasons, but I, I would hope that we can make some headway in that community about, um, you know, the, the power of women to be able to make decisions for themselves and put that in their hands. Um, the other thing is, you know, I think it's important to, um, you know, continue to do this across the country and try to talk about uh, these issues because it's important, and t- you know, people of lesser means have less access to to uh, reproductive health care in general. So we want to make sure we pull up the rest of the people who, you know, put our hand behind us and pull people up that so they can access, you know, and, and, and acquire the same kinds of things that other people can. So I would think that that would be something that the Catholic community would be concerned about as well. Um, it's not just religious. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's an economic factor. Well, I, I, I would like to think economics is... Uh what's happening but of course the trump tax bill people one of the beauties of it is that it doesn't really go into effect for quite a while so they knew what they were doing I mean, it's going to benefit the wealthiest people by far i think what like 83 percent of the tax cuts go to right right what about the power of big money in the i mean i it seems to me really clear trump is you know aside from all the uh the porn star and the russia collusion tremendous corruption unbelievable corruption mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he seems to act like uh well of course the american people should serve him 
rather than him mm-hmm. serving the mm-hmm. American people. What mm-hmm. about this, the power of money and, and, and its effect on democracy itself? Well, I mean, the parade thing is oh, just geez. incredibly is still insane. going ahead with that? I heard that, yeah. Oh I heard Carol God. Shea Porter say that recently, um, that, that that's still a possibility. You know, I, <laughs> I, I think the other thing that resonates with people when I speak to them is I'm a third-generation union member myself. My grandparents were both union members. My parents were both union members. My mother retired a few years ago as vice president of 1199 SEIU in New York City, where she spent a good portion of her career fighting for the rights of nurses in uh, against administrations like Mercy Hospital, actually, in the state of New York. She was part of the biggest settlement on behalf of nurser, wow. nurses in the state of New York. Um, and I grew up in that sort of situation where my mother was fighting for the rights of nurses. And I've learned that sort of I, I, intuitively I know it now, but I didn't realize I was learning it as a kid. So I think that that sort of, um, and that's what I've employed when I've started to work on these legislative issues. You know, New Hampshire Safe Water Alliance was, part of that was I just sort of knew how to make coalitions and how to educate yes. people, bring people together. And that comes from my background um, in my ha- my family. Um, and I wasn't realizing I was learning it. So, you know, that's important. I think think that resonates with people. I think that's an important message that we need to continue to send to our children. You know, I, I think it's important to have people become activists. I think it's important for people to, to be actively involved in the political process, which is why my campaign is reaching out to the young people, the high school kids, the uh, millennials, to make sure that we empower these people and keep them involved in the process and teach them, model for them how to do this and keep keep doing it. So we fight against this Trump, uh, you know, approach to um, to serve having us serve him instead of him serving us. Yeah, it's, it's really... Uh it's beyond belief. If my dad were around to see this, I, uh, it would kill him. Absolutely. But, <laughs> um, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, our guest on Keeping Democracy Alive, is uh, Mindy Mesmer, who is running for Congress. Um, you talked about millennials, young people. I have been so heartened to see young people so out there. I'm not so young anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just... This well, we got to talk about guns. Mm-hmm. We got to talk about guns mm-hmm. here in New Hampshire. When I was in the state senate, I I was working for what I call common sense gun laws, gun safety issues, public safety issues, and all the polls showed that people favored the positions that I was taking. But the other side, the gun lobby, came out in full force. It's like every member came out. And we lost again and again and again. I was able to get some good gun legislation, safe storage passed. Um, But one of the things I think is the the gun lobby, that's their issue. That's their one issue. The regular people who may own guns, may not, I don't know, but who are not, uh, you know, gun worshipers, whatever. uh, We work on so many issues, we didn't come out so much. Is this, what about... Young people and guns and the power of the gun lobby. What is this something? How do you find that you talk? You talk about a lot of different issues with people. Where are people on on the gun issue right now? Is there a movement? Is there a change? Are the kids making a difference? What do you think? I think the kids are making a difference. I think we need to keep them. Uh, empowered yes. to help us make a difference though. Yeah. That is why I'm working so hard to reach out and make sure we incorporate millennials and high school kids, you know, all these kids in the process. I think it's important to make sure that they understand it's really important. You know, here in the state of New Hampshire after the Parkland uh, mm-hmm. issue, 
a group of us tried to get the rules put aside because there's a, as you know there's a certain time period we can file bills but we had to try to get the rules put aside to be able to in, to um, to get a bill introduced and we were turned down flatly um, it's very difficult right now with this, the the control of the House, the Senate, and the, and the governor to get some work done in this area. But that doesn't mean we should stop working on All it. Right. We also need to make sure that everybody gets out to vote. So we do take some more control over these bodies next fall. You know, if we can, if we can get, um, uh, you know, the House and Senate under control and possibly, you know, the governor, maybe we can make some strides in this area. But, you know, I'm all for common sense measures. The problem is, you know, the CDC hasn't been able to study this issue since 1996. They've been prohibited and unfunded. There was an, uh, an attempt to at least give it some lip service recently in the omnibus bill. They put some wording in there to allow them to, uh, to be able to address it, but no funding. So I think that that's probably going to not really result in that much, but we really do need to study it as a public health issue. Um, and, you know, there are several things like in the state of New Hampshire, minors or 10 to 34 year olds, the second leading cause of death is suicide. Um, and we know that 51% or so of those are accomplished with a gun. So I think it makes sense to delay the ability of someone to get a gun uh, 48 or 72 hours. That kind of stuff needs to be looked at. We need to say, were they, um, did they get the gun and then go out and kill themselves within 24 hours or 48 or 72? How did that happen and how could we help fix that? But these kinds of things, meet, you know, we need science and evidence to, to guide us in these things. Yeah, what a concept. Actually looking at it and doing the research. That's a very good point. What was the bill that you were trying to uh, amend the rules you know, to, to get introduced after Parkland? Uh, we don't remember the number of the bill, but it, it was all, all it was going to do would be to restrict the sale of guns to um, 21 and over. And it's now 18? It's now 18 or 16 even maybe. I'm not sure. It's either 18 or 16, but 21. And there was one other thing, which I can't remember right off the top of my head right now. But it was just two things, two simple things. It might have been a bump stock thing or an assault. I can't remember what it was. It was either an assault rifle or a bump stock thing and 21 and over. Um, certainly not, you know, it was definitely a common sense approach to doing something, just something small to start it, and we were flatly turned down. And that's, yeah, there's, I, I don't know where the phrase comes from. I wish I could attribute it, but protest and politics, both necessary, neither sufficient. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of people out in the streets, mm -hmm. understandably. I've been out in the streets. You've been out in the streets. How can we keep that up? People, I keep hearing you know, sort of whispers that, all oh, the resistance is sort of fading. How can we pull that together? I mean, you know, protest is one thing. It's kind of fun to get out there on the streets, especially if it's nice weather. Uh, but do people understand how their vote really does count? I mean, the, the powers that be have wanted people to give up and say, oh, my vote doesn't matter. It's out of my control. Are people getting energized? Do people realize, hey, this is really some big stuff that's going on right now? I think they are, um, especially with respect to the um, the, uh, the attempts to uh, make it more difficult for millennials to vote. Oh, yes. I, I've seen a lot of energy around these issues. You know, I had a meeting in Durham recently, and I think 12 or 15 uh, UNH uh students showed up at the meeting they were powerful they asked questions about how can we do this and i said and one of them was the one who had been bird dogging sununu about the the vote on the election bill the domicile bill nah. and uh he said how can i keep doing it? keep it up in the media keep getting any kind of coverage you can get uh hold his feet to the fire make sure he lives up to his promise to veto that and you know it was passed in the house and senate what was the bill 
it uh i don't oh. remember the the number of the no, bill but um it's to uh make it more difficult for kids yeah, to vote that are college students young people absolutely yeah. and you know we know that most of those kids are usually democrats right. not necessarily i mean i think you know there's some work to be done there i mean lots of people are disenfranchised with the democratic party as well oh, yeah. so there are and that includes the, the millennials so th that's why mm -hmm. i'm i'm really making concerted efforts to get out there and talk to people i think that they feel like they're not represented by by some of the people um, in the party right now. So I think it's important for them to feel that they're being represented and heard. And I think, you know, seeing that energy rise up around this issue with regard to election, I hope that that's, you know, sort of resonating with them, that they really need to continue. We're trying to get out efforts to educate people about the need to register and when they register to get voting in the primary uh, and mm -hmm. the general election. So I'm hopeful that that will continue. Yeah, I don't know how it is in other states, but here I think last time I checked is like 20 percent of the eligible voters vote in the uh, September yeah. primary. Yeah. It's true. It's pitiful. 20%. It's a little bit over 20%, but it's about 20%. Uh, it's, it's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. So there are at least nine candidates now, and, and you know, one, one of them is a former county prosecutor. They're good people. Mm -hmm. One yeah. is an uh, executive counselor. There are five executive counselors in the state of New Hampshire, I think, right? Yeah, there's five. Five, yeah. Uh, and there's one who was uh, head of the AFL-CIO, which is a you know basic block of the Democratic Party. Some good people who are appealing to people. Why are you the strongest candidate going into the general election, do you think? Well, like you've kind of touched on, I think I'm really the only candidate that is currently already doing the work of a congresswoman here in the state of New Hampshire. You know, I'm fighting for the people. I'm passing effective legislation. I'm getting it done. I'm working across the aisle. I'm educating people. Um, I think that I'm the only one who's really doing that work right now. Um, I'm good at writing policy. I'm good at trying to get um, it passed and, and talking to people. So I think that, that I'm really the only one that's doing that. I'm also a scientist and I'm a woman. So, you know, in, a, in an era when we're looking at, you know, uh, climate change websites being scrubbed and 700 plus people being let go from the EPA mm. since Trump's been elected. And, you know, the fight against lobbyists. I'm the only one that's posting the names of lobbyists on Facebook and, and, and my internet. You know, I'm really trying to expose this. I, I'm not going to protect their dirty, dirty little secret, and I haven't been. And that had nothing to do with my running for this seat. That was happening before I was running for this Tell seat. Tell us about so. that. What is that posting lobbyists? So I, um, you know, when I see lobbyists show up, they sign in to fight my bills and they mm -hmm. say the most outrageous things and they do the most outrageous things that are, you know, part of why my bills get um, killed. But sure. I post the names of those. I talk about them openly. The tire manufacturing industry came in when fiber fill and the rubber manufacturing industry came in to fight a bill where I was trying to get um, crumb rubber removed from playgrounds in our state because we know that that's causing soccer goalies and lacrosse goalies to get these rare forms of, of lung sarcomas. Uh, and it's there's actually a 200 plus list of people of young people who now have these rare lung cancers that are caused, we think, by these crumb rubber disintegrating playgrounds mm. that kids are being exposed to, not to mention the physical hazards of just playing on such a hot surface, et cetera. So, um, you know, there were lobbyists sent in from across the country to come here to New Hampshire. Seven of them were flown in from California, oh Texas, North Carolina to fight that legislation. And they said the most outrageous things. And I post their... I talk about openly who they are, what they were doing, how they did it, uh, what effect it had. Uh, you know, as you know, I've been working very um, hard on this Coakley landfill issue here in the seacoast. You know, they hired the strongest lobby firm, uh, the Rath uh, Pignatelli and Young uh, uh, 
uh, lobby firm, five lobbyists follow me around the state house. I posted their names on Facebook. Um, and, you know, they have an attorney from uh, RATH also that's uh, representing them. And I talk about that openly. I think it's important for the Portsmouth taxpayers to know that $20,000 was spent on lobbyists alone, not to mention how much they're spending on attorneys to fight my legislation. That's meant to protect the city of Portsmouth water drinkers and the seacoast in general. Um, and now we know that the EPA has been hiding the information um, and that would support my efforts to do that. So, you know, I think it, everybody needs to know the influence of lobbyists and policymaking and the influence of money in, in uh, politics as well. Boy, you have your work cut off for you, but you seem to have the energy. That's one thing that I really <laughs> liked about Bernie Sanders was tremendous energy. And I think uh, my sense is it comes from inside. You know, if you really yeah. care, if this right. is legit. And that's one great thing about people, I think, in New Hampshire is you can tell who's authentic. Yeah. And who's just <laughs> spouting off. And I'm not going to name any names, but there are people who, you know, they glad hand you. And it, it's like, oh, you know, you can tell they're not really into it. But you're you're doing mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. apparently because you care about this. I do. Things. Yeah. What, what kind of there are a lot of committees in the House of Representatives in Washington. Any thoughts about what committee or committees you might like to be on? Yeah, actually, I, I would ask to be on the defense um, ah. for sure. I think that, you know, there we know that there are now, it just was issued this week, I'd heard it, but now it's in writing, over 625 bases across the United States where drinking water is impacted by the activities of the Defense Department. Um, we know it's a huge issue. We know that's part of what's probably behind this EPA suppression of the data. Mm. Um, I think that's a huge national issue that needs to be addressed. And, you know, I'm not afraid to address it. So I, I'm working very hard to make sure that I can help address that. I think that committee, um, I see some of the information that's passed on to the delegates about from the defense industry that's technically incorrect. You know, with my background, technically I can understand a lot of things. Um, and I know when things are not being exactly portrayed honestly. So I think that that is an area where I can make uh, a lot of impact. I also think mm. the energy and science technology area uh, committee, I could, that one, you know, there's, there's uh, that one's a little bit tougher, I think, to make some progress in. So I think those two are important, just as my background, uh, you know, to be involved with. But uh, for sure, the defense. Knowledge is power. And when people know stuff, they can do something about mm -hmm. it. But if they don't know stuff, they can't right. do anything. Right. So that's right. science is about yeah. knowledge. And, and I can tell you that the staffers that I employ will be scientific staffers ah. as well. That's one of the issues, I think, is that many federal delegates do not have people who are scientifically, it's probably not the sexiest role to be in as a staffer. I think a lot of staffers want to be international based or, you know, have involvement in that kind of stuff. But, you know, in terms of public health and protection of public health and policy making in that area, I think it's important to have scientists helping out. Public health. And, you know, people talk about the environment and, and climate change. And we look at these pictures of all the plastic things floating in the sea, these huge things. It's public health. Absolutely. It really is public Absolutely. health. Absolutely. And, of course, I remember the movie uh, The Graduate where they said plastics, you know, and plastics are a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's something that affects everybody. And, you know, I think uh, one of the problems that uh, Democrats have been plagued by is looking too elitist. But this, the environment affects Everybody. 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 Well, look at Flint, Michigan. I mean, we oh are four God, years yeah. into that tragedy, and still people are paying for water bills when they can't drink the water, and they still don't have clean water to drink. You know, I mean, that that is an just an amazing, you know... Uh, injustice? Injustice. <laughs> 
to people that really have very limited voice. And, and those are the kinds of people, you know, we see that here in New Hampshire as well. I mean, we can see microcosms of the same thing happening here in the seacoast sure. and across the state of New Hampshire, which is why I fought so hard to help the people of the Merrimack area um, with the situation that's going on there for the last two years. So, you know, I think it's really important to make sure that we're fighting for everybody. And, you know, public health doesn't discriminate cancer. That's one of the things I, you know, I certainly, um, you know, I have independent supporters and I have Republican supporters because these issues are nonpartisan. People get cancer who are whatever party affiliation and people respect that the work I've done has really attempted to protect public health in those areas, so... Yeah, cancer is a uh, nonpartisan. Absolutely. Ah, and so I think everybody knows somebody who's Absolutely. had cancer in their yep. family. And how much of it is environmental? Oh, I don't know, well, but we a just, lot of you it, know, I think. We now have, um, the CDC has determined that the state of New Hampshire has the highest rate of breast cancer in the country. Just this past week, on the day that my arsenic bill passed the House floor going to the governor, we now know that we have the highest rate of bladder cancer in the state of New Hampshire of the entire country. These two cancers are well known to have environmental triggers associated with them. They're currently, the state of New Hampshire is doing, a, through a grant program, a study of arsenic in drinking water and the rates of bladder cancer. And we know that there's 3,000 cases per million of bladder cancer in the state of New Hampshire when we really should have only one per million, according to what the typical processes we use to determine what safe water is. So this, these are huge problems, and they, you know, New Hampshire is behind the times in with respect to p- states like even New Jersey. You know, everybody thinks of New Jersey being a toxic wasteland, but they are very much more proactive about really? protecting public health with regard to drinking water and environmental, oh yeah, than the state of New Hampshire has been, which has been the subject of how I'm fighting for these um, these bills that I've got tried to get through and gotten through the state of New Hampshire. So. You know, they're really important um, issues to handle. And I can't remember who it was, but I just heard about somebody who got bladder cancer. Every I, every day, almost now, I hear about somebody else who's gotten bladder cancer or has bladder cancer. It is a huge issue in the state of New Hampshire that, you know, needs to be addressed. And one of the things that was so remarkable was during the process of the committee hearings in the Executive Departments and Administration Committee, Jackie Silly sits on that committee, uh, the state of New Hampshire, when questioned, the DES representative in question, you know, said... I wouldn't do anything. We haven't done anything in 12 years since New Jersey has made a more strict arsenic policy than we have uh, standard. Uh, and we didn't do it because we weren't mandated. And Representative Silly said, do you mean to tell me that because we didn't have a scientist legislator come here and tell you to lower the standard, you weren't going to do it? And he said, no, we just didn't get around to it. In 12 years, the state of New Jersey has a lower incidence rate of bladder cancer than the state of New Hampshire. You know, why is that? We need to be more proactive about protecting our, our citizens and being uh, prevent cancer in our state. Hmm. We have the highest rate of bladder cancer and the highest rate of breast cancer in the entire country in the state of New Hampshire. That's incredible. Wow. That is amazing. I'm, yep. I'm a bit stunned by that. Yep. That's, it's frightening. It is frightening. Well, one of the I, we're approaching the end of the hour here. I want to follow up on a quote. You said, justice is the salvation of democracy. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? That's an interesting phrase. Well, uh, you know, I think that we will save democracy if we pay attention to everyone, hear everyone's voices. I think it's important no matter how much money they have, what color their skin is, what their sexual identity is, that we pay attention to everyone's voice. 
And when we do that, I think people will be empowered and get involved and they'll feel like they're not, they, they feel disenfranchised now. And I think we need to pull yeah. those people in and make sure that we're actually representing everyone, not just the rich bankers, not just the rich lobbyists or the industry people that care about, you know, their bottom line. Uh, or the president who cares about his friends that are in those positions. You know, we need to make sure as a Democratic Party, and it gets back to the Unity Commission thing. We need to really connect as community activists. We need to connect with the people and be more representative of everyone, not just people who make the most money. Uh, yeah, I, we need to win. What Now, as I say, there are like nine candidates what are you doing to win? How How is it? You don't have the 900000 or a million dollars right. that Mara right. Sullivan has. Right. How, how do you We how do you have people power, though. We have people power. I can tell you, we probably have the most volunteers of any campaign. I have to, I, I'm positive of that. I've been to over 60, I don't have a current count, but I would say 64, 65 of the communities across the CD1 district already. And I've done that so that I can hear what people uh, think is important to them and make sure that I represent their interests. So I think that that's what we're doing. We're getting out and we're talking to everyone in the communities. We have uh, incorporated a large number of volunteers to our campaign, and it's been very energizing and very exciting. Well, it is. If people want to get involved and help you out, what can they you do? You can of go course, to my website, you, which you'll is... You'll take money from pretty absolutely. much Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We, well, not anybody, but <laughs> right. people, yes. <laughs> Mindy for Congress, uh, M-I-N-D-I-F-O-R, congress.com is the website. There's an area there where you can... It says get involved. You can click on that to get involved. There's also a nice big red donate button at the top uh -huh. left side where you can help get involved. Um, we do need money for things like buying signs. Everybody wants a lawn sign now, and we're running out already, so we have to buy another batch of lawn signs. Uh, we need uh, literature to hand out at meetings. We need, you know, just various things. I will not, one thing I've done is I'm not going to spend money on buying tables at Democratic conventions or things like that. You know, my donors do not want me to spend $2,500 for a table to be able to hand literature out at a, at a party um, event. And that's one thing I'm not going to do. So your money will be spent on things that we actually need to conduct this campaign. And the DCCC, so far, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, so far is still neutral? That's what they say, but, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so money from regular people is, is a big deal. Absolutely. I don't expect to see you on Boston TV, but... That's okay. Let other people. Well, spend. who knows? I mean, I've got a lot of coverage for the the work I'm doing. Well, that's so, the thing. Free media. Absolutely. Act yeah. Actual news. Yeah, I get things. a ton of uh, you know free media. That's true. Yeah. And there's a good reason yep. for that. Absolutely. So again, it's MindyForCongress.org. Dot com. Dot com. Oh, even better, MindyForCongress.com. Thank you so much for being. Thank with you us. so it's much. It'll be an interesting time ahead. And I have an old Beach Boy song here. Don't go near the water. Talking about water being polluted. It's a big issue for you, I know. It's not the only issue, but it's a big one. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I'm so happy to be here. Don't go near the water. Don't you think it's sad? What's happened to the water? Our water's going bad. Oceans, rivers, lakes, and streams have all been touched by man. Poison floating out to sea now threatens life on land. Don't go near the water. Ain't it sad?
Let's talk.